0: Welcome once again to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. This podcast delivers current theory, research and practice in support of effective literacy instruction. I'm your host, Matt Sroke. I'm an associate editor for the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy. I'm also a clinical assistant professor of literacy at Mercer University. In today's episode, I'm talking with Katrina Tor and Ed Creeley about a framework they developed with colleagues for teaching digital literacies to adults from migrant and refugee backgrounds. Their work is really interesting. I think it's important just kind of on its own right, but it also provides useful tools and guidance for literacy teachers and scholars in all kinds of different fields of literacy. In our conversation, we discussed the four key principles that guide their framework, that is authentic learning context, problem-based learning, strengths based approaches, and multiple-dimensional practices. And we talk about how each of these principles were or were not enacted by the teachers in their study. This conversation stems from their article in the Journal of Adolescent Literacy titled Investigating the Efficacy of the AMEP Digital Literacy Framework and Guide for Adult EAL Settings by Katrina Torr, Edwin Creeley, Peter Waterhouse, and Michael Henderson. This article is linked in the show notes. And it's free for everyone to read. I would strongly encourage you guys, um, if you're interested in this conversation, go ahead and check out their article uh, in the show notes. Before I jump into this conversation, let me give my monthly request for you to share this podcast with people in your professional network. Also, uh, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review. If you listen on the Jaw website, that's fine. Thank you for listening. If you go ahead and open up Apple Podcasts and write a review or leave us five stars, uh, we, and by we, I would mean I, would greatly appreciate it. Um, also, one more quick kind of plug here. Um, the latest Literacy Insights is now up and on the JAW website. Or the, uh, uh, the So for those who don't know, the Literacy Insights, these are free one-page printables that are organized by topic. Each include the list of resources, and these resources include kind of recent articles and research on the topic. Um, they also, these uh, literacy insights also include uh, thought-provoking discussion questions uh, to guide professional learning. This is great for teachers, for, for, for teacher ed classrooms. It's also great if you're in a, a PLC or just doing some of the form of professional learning about a specific topic. This latest literacy insight is on guiding and assessing student writing. Um, So if you want to know what the latest research is um, around guiding, assessing student writing, or if you're involved in professional learning, or if you're teaching a course where you want students to know about guiding and assessing student writing, I would strongly encourage you to check out this literacy insight. I've linked, I've uh, in the show notes, once again, I've linked um, this literacy insight, guiding and assessing student writing. So check that out. Also, I would love to hear your feedback. Um, so reach out to me via email um, if for your thoughts on literacy insights, or if you have ideas for new topics to be discussed in the literacy insights, I would welcome that feedback. All right. So with that jaw promotion of the podcast and literacy insights out of the way, let's get to the show. Dr. Katrina Tor is a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Education at Monash, at Monash University. Her research focuses on the digital literacies of children and adults from refugee and migrant backgrounds. It investigates the ways in which these groups use digital technologies in English as an additional language or EAL for life, learning, and employment, and explores how these experiences can be used to enhance educational policies and pedagogies for digital literacies in EAL TESOL settings. And then Dr. Edwin Creeley is a senior lecturer in the Faculty of Education at Monash University. He's a strong contributor to international conferences and is widely published. His research interests include digital literacies and pedagogies, computers education, creativity, critical thinking, literacies across the years, and artificial intelligence and language learning. He has also developed a strong interest in adult learning and especially involving adults from migrant and refugee backgrounds. Now, here is my interview with Dr. Katrina Tor and Dr. Edwin Creeley, as we talk about their article, Investigating the Efficacies of the AMEP Digital Literacy Framework and Guide for DOT EAL Settings. I'm now excited to be joined on the Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy podcast by Katrina Tor and Ed Creeley. Uh, Katrina, Ed, thank you for joining me. And can we start with you, Ed? Can, can you Talk a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this work around digital
1: literacies and language learners. Well, I've been a teacher, I was a teacher for very many years and and always had an enormous interest in technology and its application in education. And um, from that, after doing my PhD, I started working in the Faculty of Education here at Monash University. And that interest in technology has continued and continued in applying it to to real contexts. And of course, the other interest of mine is is in literacy and uh, and pedagogy. And so combining literacy pedagogy with uh, technology and education has been a, a real um, theme of, of my academic work so far. And uh, so I'm very interested in this, how uh, this might be applied in different for for different settings. And one of the settings, of course, is for um, people from migrant and refugee backgrounds and, and technology has now become uh, instrumental in, in how we, you can settle and be in a society becoming coming to a new place. So I'm very interested in that it, 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 in, and it also has theoretical and practical application. So, so that, that is in some, I mean, there's lots of other things I could say here about my background and I'm particularly also interested in the, in, in the philosophy of technology. And um, and then theorising technology and also its intersections with literacy and of course one of the things that's merged for me recently is artificial intelligence and uh, and applications of that in education and conceiving of what artificial intelligence particularly generative AI is so that's some of the the the, the things that I I really like um, um so. Yeah, I I I, I, I could add a lot more, but I think I'll stop
0: there. Yeah, please do it because you're already going to be sidetracked, wanting to investigate all those other <laughs> things you brought yeah. up. But and this is why, by the way, I think your article was such a great fit for JAL, and I really like your work because your work very much is uh, a place where theory meets kind uh, of the practical, um, and I love that, and I can't wait to get into it. Katrina, what what, what about you? Can you share a little bit about your background?
2: Um. For me, uh, my interest in digital literacies and um, language learners um, has been inspired by my professional and personal interest. Uh, like Ed, I was a school teacher before my academic career, and I worked as an English as a foreign language teacher back home uh, in my country, Belarus, which is in Eastern Europe. Um, and I was always interested in using technology in um, with EFL learners. And then in 2004, I migrated to Australia and. Um, I personally experienced the use of technology in a different language, in a different sociocultural context, which was sometimes challenging, sometimes very exciting. So, and I think you know this personal and professional interest um inspired me to do research in this space. So now I'm currently researching um the use of digital technologies and digital literacies. Um with children and adults from uh, refugee and migrant backgrounds. So I explore how these groups use digital technologies for life, learning and employment. And of course, I'm interested in how, you know, educational policies and pedagogies uh, for digital literacies in um, TESOL settings can be enhanced through my research. And like Ed, I'm also interested in in new developments in this space, um, generative AI, and perhaps we can talk about this a bit later.
0: Yeah. You guys are tempting me to talk about AI. Um, I'm going to try to stay focused here, at least at the beginning. But that that's cool. That professional and personal connection. So, um, and I too, I'll join you. Um, in my background was I taught high school English for 14 years. So, mm-hmm. um, I shared that kind of background in in the classroom. Um, so let's get into into the framework, the digital literacy framework that you guys developed. Um, I'm going to quote from your article briefly, and then if you guys would kind of uh, respond to um kind of your the need for this framework and and how you went about developing this framework uh, but you guys write in your article that you wanted to develop a framework and this is a quote uh for practitioners that would reflect current developments in the field of sociocultural perspective and offer a comprehensive pedagogical approach considering the what the how and the why of digital literacies for settlement we also wanted this framework to be contextually specific that is designed for adult language learners from migrant and refugee backgrounds." And so, end quote. And so you talk about the need for it being for practitioners, for sociocultural perspectives, the what, the how, the why for digital literacies and specific to the context. Um, So can you unpack this a little bit, kind of why did you feel the need for this framework, for this new framework? And how did you go about developing this framework?
2: well this this paper is based on a larger project which we did um during covid times in uh, 2021 and 2022 uh, so it's a larger project um together with two other colleagues um from monash university um Peter Waterhouse and Michael Henderson. So there are four of us on this project, and this project has been funded by the Department of uh, Home, uh, Home Affairs and our industry partner, LWA. So, and this project was inspired by our previous research, um, which we did together with Ed and Peter before COVID. So it was a small project um, just with one institution where we observed very interesting approach to digital literacy. So the teachers in this institution, they were quite interested in digital literacy and they set up a special program for the adult learners from migrant and refugee backgrounds. And it was a great Program, um, but there were of course a lot of challenges uh, ranging from access to technology, uh, students' past experiences with digital technologies, as well as uh, lack of resources and lack of professional learning. So we could see there was um, a lot of interest in how to teach digital literacy, but those teachers in that small project they didn't have support, and we thought that of course, um, as you know, as researchers, we we really w- w- wanted to help here and. Um, We um, said, okay, we we need probably another project which would help us to create something that would help those teachers, such as, you know, a conceptual framework, but also some practical resources. So this paper um, presents both conceptual and practical examples um, and gives links to some practical resources that teachers could use. But generally, it was inspired this kind of, you know, previous research, um, our our observations, um, and our desire to help the field. And this small research is published in a book. We've done a book, which is called Enhancing Digital Literacies with Adult uh, English Language Learners. So where we describe, you know, the need for this research, for this um, framework and uh, the need for resources. So this particular paper and this particular project um, emerged from our past experience and past research in the field.
0: Interesting. And if you want to share with me that link, I can put that link in the show notes to to, to that book. And of course, listeners can find entire article in the show notes um, available to to read. And so I love that, that this was designed with educators and teachers in mind, um, designed for helping them teach digital literacies uh, to adult language learners from these migrant and refugee backgrounds. And so, and again, I would reference listeners to read the article because there's nice visuals of this framework. Um, But in, in your framework, you have um, kind of on the outside, you have um, authentic learning, problem-based authentic learning context, problem-based learning, strength-based approach, and multi-dimensional practices. I was hoping we could kind of unpack these four principles, kind of one by one, and kind of explain what they mean and how they might specifically apply to migrant and refugee uh, students. Um, so, what about the first one, authentic learning context? Uh, what is that, and why did you include that one?
1: Well, Matt, going back to uh, what Katrina was saying there about the practical background and our desire to to help the field and practitioners mm. in the field. And so, and necessarily, uh, what we did had to have a practical focus to it. And what we, there's quite a literature out there on authentic learning. Um, and, and, and so, we drew on some of that literature, and we began to realise that, in fact, uh, what practitioners need and what the students that they teach need is, is authentic learning experiences so it's not it's they're not uh, pie in the sky they're not um, uh, um, theorized they're practical they relate to the lives of these learners and the and the sorts of um, the sorts of issues that these learners face in their lives so the context in which this learning occurs uh, it, they are real I mean for instance um, in our initial project which is in a Melbourne uh, many of them lived in public housing, and and had real challenges, real challenges of internet, real challenges of of understanding how to access public uh, public resources um, and and help online, and, ha- and 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 how to actually do those things. So authentic learning context means that um, the the situation of learners is not distinguished from the educational context in which they learn. Am I making sense here? That so yeah, try absolutely. to bring a sense of um, con- connectivity between the learners and and how they're learning, and make what they're doing applicable to their their life situation, um, and and so that authentic learning uh, it is a theoretical or conceptual approach. It, it's it's been well published, but in this instance we want we want to bring that to bear on on actually on on. Um, on the needs of of, of people in, in this particular sector. Um, and authentic learning, um, I, I think authentic learning goes broader than even that. I mean, I, I, in, I, both of us are teacher educators and, and authentic learning is important for our teachers, for instance, that, that this, the situations where they're applying theory need to be as real or close to authentic as they possibly can be. So they, they can see, and, and I and that's been a practice I've been doing. Actually, using cases cases that come from real context to apply ideas to, and to and to apply theory to, and and to design learning, teaching, and learning uh, activity. So so mm-hmm. authentic learning is is very important part of this program. Otherwise, there there, there is a, a, a gap between what people know and how they can apply it for real situations.
0: Yeah, and I I would add that I think the four elements of your framework, um, I think a lot of it is just good teaching, right, that applies across the board, but specifically working with um, adult language le- learners from these backgrounds, it becomes, I think, even more important, and it might look different than it does in teacher education, it might look different in this context, obviously, and and I could see a direct link, right, that makes sense that you have authentic learning, and that seems to connect well with your second one, problem-based learning, because I assume in these authentic con- contexts, there emerges authentic problems that they need
1: to solve, well, right? So it's authentic in the sense of audiences, purposes, and texts. So, mm. who's it, uh, you know who's it being used for, um, and 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 uh, and also what um, uh, are the purposes? So um, I mean, um, in the framework, we actually have real purposes. Real purposes are connected to the lives of the learners. And of course, authentic texts. What are the things every day that they're, they're engaging with? They could be digital texts, they could be physical texts. What, and and um, these texts are not separated from their, the lives of the people who are using them. So um, what, what matters in the lives of these people? What texts do they encounter? How, uh, what do they need to do in order to be successful? And and so audiences' purposes and texts that relate to their lives is is at the heart of this particular dimension. Okay. And
2: your your roadmap, it it leads to um, to encourages uh, teachers to set up problem-based learning, yes, using this authentic text. Encourage students to engage in real problem-solving, such as, um, you know, like text messaging. Let's send a text to a friend or let's send Mm -hmm. a text to a teacher or let's send email to a real estate agent. So that would be authentic text, authentic purpose, authentic audience. They would encourage people to engage um, in authentic problem.
1: And, and take an example of a, a, a problem is that they and, and it's global this issue of of um, of those people who try to to um, to rip off or um, what's the word. It, it, the, you, you get people who are using social media or digital platforms in, in order to deceive.
0: Yeah, to scam uh, to and take advantage of people. Sure. And,
1: and so this, this scamming culture it, it can be targeted at particularly vulnerable populations. And and so uh, one of the uh, problem-solving tasks is if you get one of these messages, what do you do with it? That's a problem-solving thing. It's an authentic text. How do you respond to it in ways that that, that, that protect you? Um, and and, uh, and we can't make assumptions that people from refugee and migrant backgrounds uh, have the wherewithal to to deal with scammers and those who want to deceive. Um, and so, i will just giving you one example of a, a problem-solving activity that really is an authentic context. They could face this in their daily lives at home. And and I and and this also is about these these critical literacy skills. How is a text trying to manipulate me, uh, empower me, deceive me? And how should I respond to that? And um, because so much of the the teaching in the space, even about um, literacy, digital literacies, is not about the critical, not not about how text position you, um, depower, empower you, um, how how you can respond in ways that are empowering. These sorts of things... I think are a central part of it, and 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 so we problem solve out of the base of of of, um, of, of, of being empowered. Uh, it's probably something we've added later on to this framework. I think it, 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 one of our developments on from this framework is the notion of digital empowerment, um, which we currently are writing a book about and and also um, doing other research about, which Katrina might talk about later. So so. The, these these four dimensions are actually highly interrelated, and you've already picked up the interrelations between mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and
0: your that comment makes me think of about a month ago. I interviewed another JAL author, Dr. Jennifer Cobrin, who looked at um, a woman applying, an older woman, trying to apply for a job because she needed a job, and kind of all the scams she had to navigate via email just to apply. For a job and to know how is this is this le- le- legit is this not legit and so again focusing on that vulnerable population people searching for jobs for instance are more um susceptible to some of these scams and that that critical part that would kind of fall under that multi-dimensional
1: yes yeah, so, right that that fourth part of the framework and that goes back to um, um many many years ago uh, a, a leading scholar in australia in in, in the Literacy's digital literacy space. Bill Green and his colleague Catherine Davis came up with what they called the three-dimensional model, and it had three parts to it. And the three parts were the operational, the the, the cultural, and the critical. And 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 one necessarily it it, see it as a a, a a circle, where they they they're always and, and ever interconnected. So the the operational is about the mechanics of. Of, of engaging with technology, uh, the the, the cultural is what is its meaning, significance in social and cultural situations, mm-hmm. and then the critical is how do how do these texts that I engage with position me, make me feel, make me think, how should I respond to these texts, um, and, and then bringing in um, sort of um, other issues, for example, like gender, race, uh, religion. Uh, these things, that, these intersections that actually cut across uh, what texts do to people, um, and but it, uh, but then if you link that, uh, this is the multi-dimensional aspect of. And we thought Bill Green and Catherine Beavis' model was highly applicable here uh, to to this situation. If you come across to the final dimension, the final the final dimension, which is strength-based approach, that's something that we we really um, think is incredibly important. And and there isn't a large literature on strength-based approaches. There is a literature, but, and it's a more recent literature. But in some, it's, it's about saying so much of what's been written, particularly about migrants and refugees, is, is used in deficit language. It's mm-hmm. what we can do for them, what they lack, what they, what, what they need to do how they need to fulfill requirements. This deficit language has has been um, uh, endemic and prevalent across every, And it's not just in Australia, it's international. And so what we're saying instead, we need to think in a different way. We need to think about, well, these are people from migrant refugee backgrounds actually have already existing resources, including linguistic resources. And some, we come across some who can speak multiple languages. And they, they have these deep linguistic resources. They have understandings they bring from their homeland when they come to a new place. They, they have family and community resources and understandings. And, and so a pedagogy that embraces these existing personal and communal resources is what I think is very important. And surprising to us, in our research we found they were quite adept at using um, mobile or cell phone devices. And mm-hmm. and we and, and there was some interesting research in Europe about this about the, the power with, with the refugees of using mobile devices and and that and that was the point of connection in terms of digital literacies and critical digital literacies into this population and so um, uh, and, and so we, we're looking what can they do and how can we build on that that's that's strength based uh, approaches or practices or thinking is about. What do they already have? And let us find out what they already have. And let's build on that. But I would go even further now, and some of our most recent material is really about um, uh, it's about agency. It, so I think strength-based practice is is, is recognising and respecting the agency, the ability to act in the world, the ability to, to, to think through, problem-solve, uh, contribute to. Um, and, and, and direct their own lives, rather than having lives directed for them. So I, I, I think that's the very the very heart of these strength-based practices. Um, so and and we have um, uh, data examples of this of someone problem-solving, being agential, and, and and actually using their existing strengths and drawing resources with um, um, quite a part. I mean. This deficit thinking still exists, exists in yep. Australia, the way we think about it. Um, our, our, our Indigenous population in Australia are, are spoken about in the media in quite deficit ways, and yet they have so many uh, um, existing strengths and resources that, that should be celebrated and championed. So we think the same about um, uh, migrant and refugee uh, populations.
0: Yeah, I think an obvious example we see all the time here in the States is because we have a large um, uh, emergent bilingual population. And for English language learners, they there's like there's this deficit thinking, as you mentioned, that, oh, no, they're coming to our classroom and they're not fluent in English. So this is going to make it more challenging for me. Instead of saying, like, they are learning to be bilingual, which is a huge advantage in this world that we live in. and, um, And how cool is that? And we should celebrate that and we should talk about them in positive ways and see how they can bring in their cultural linguistic resources into our classroom but that's
1: not what always happens practically. And uh, yeah and that, that, that deficit language must and should be challenged. Yes agreed. it's not just in this area either I, I'm working uh, I'm working with a PhD student who's actually looking at the deficit language existing in in, um, in inclusive education and in, in uh, disability. Yep. and in disability, the deficit language is is rife. It's incredibly yep. demeaning, and, and and even from people who are well-meaning. So across the board, the strength-based approach is something that we really embrace, and and we have to, have to challenge ourselves about it because I, I find myself falling back to deficit language at times. I'm writing something, and I'm finding and I have to challenge myself constantly about the language I'm using.
0: Well, and it seems to me that's this framework also assumes, if you're doing authentic, problem-based, strength-based, and multidimensional, it, it assumes that you have a pretty good relationship and knowledge of the context of your students, right? Indeed, yes. All right. So um, I want, I'm want i anxious because I think we're going to unpack this more when we get to the findings. Um, but let's set up your study real quick. So you have this framework um, with these four key principles, and then you say, well, let's test out the effectiveness effectiveness, effectiveness of it. And so for, for your article for JAW, you look at five teachers, uh, you give them this framework, and then fill in the gaps for me here. You give them the framework and kind of what did the teachers do with it and, and and what do you all do with that?
2: Yes, that was um, the final stage of the project. Once we develop the framework and um, a guide, which gives some practical ideas about how this framework can be implemented in practice. We, um, recruited five teachers from um, adult English, uh, adult migrant English programs who volunteered to participate in this research and wanted to try those ideas in practice. So we gave them the resource and said, okay, um, you can just see what you like, try to connect uh, these ideas to your curriculum and your you know, teaching aims, what you want to teach, because, of course, they have their own curriculums which they have to follow. And there was a range of topics which they could choose from, so every teacher had freedom to choose any topics they wanted. And then we asked them to develop a sequence of lessons based on the framework and um, based on the ideas given in their resource. And, of course, um, because it was a pilot uh, project, we suggested that they can uh, always get back to us and we can help them to come up with some ideas or maybe you know, brainstorm together.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but
2: we were quite surprised uh, no one actually got back to us asking for help, which was a good sign, yes, because we wanted to design a resource which would be sustainable, which wouldn't require a researcher, you know, like a small coach in a pocket. We wanted right. the resource to be um, useful for teachers that can, you know, just... Sunday night, open it up and find something useful for, for their planning. Um, so that was really great to see that they didn't get back to us and they you know, were creative and uh, quite uh, proactive in the use of the resource. So different teachers developed different uh, sequences of lessons on different topics and then um, they were implementing those um, learning units uh, into practice. So we set it up, this research project, as individual multiple case studies, so where a teacher and a class was a case study. And uh, we've used a, a wide range of methods to understand the effectiveness of, of this resource. So, for example, we did classroom observations, so we specifically we went to the classrooms. Uh, we had um, video recording and photography so that we could better understand the students' experiences and uh, teaching practices. Um, as I've mentioned, we, we unfortunately the project was interrupted by COVID, and um, Melbourne was in lockdown. Um, in lockdowns, like they were like short, intermittent uh, lockdowns, so that's why some of the lessons we were able to observe um, in class, face to face, but some of the lessons were conducted online. So we had to join Zoom classes and observe teachers doing it online. And we need to say they did an amazing job, yes, because they had to adapt as well. Um, right. where they, face-to-face or online, and sometimes it was uh, such a short notice that uh, we need to complement those teachers uh, for being able to adapt those activities for online environments. But in a way, it was a good finding as well, because now we can say that the framework and the resource worked for online spaces as well, and uh, now can be used um, for blended learning, for example, yes, if some institutions use blended learning as their approach. So we've done some classroom observations for each teacher, We also um, asked teachers to take reflective notes uh, after each lesson to document, you know, the examples of learning, their reflections and thinking about the activities, what can be done differently, because we thought it was really a rich source of data whilst it's still fresh in their minds. so we can then adjust the resource depending on their reflections. We also collected all possible artifacts, which were included um, now as... uh, like as extended version of this resource with all these learning activities, handouts, uh, videos, and other resources which were created by teachers in their sequence of lessons. We've done individual interviews with teachers to get together their perspective on um, on learning. And we did focus groups with learners because it's not only about teachers teaching, yes, it's mainly about learners. If these lessons are useful, if they learn anything, uh, what they learn, how they experience those activities. So we've done focus groups um, with learners. One of the major benefits of this project was the capacity to do focus groups in home languages of participants. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we often have to work with um, learners who were at the beginning of their learning journey, so, which means they were obviously more comfortable to speak in their home language. So we were able to work with bilingual research assistants um, and sometimes translators um, and to talk to the participants in their home language. And that was absolutely um, incredible data. And, of course, it helped us to better understand um. The experiences and uh, how they experience digital literacy and learning um, in class or online. So yeah, that was their research project. Um,
0: yeah, that, that's fantastic. And so you design this framework, you um, talk to, you have five teachers, who are working um, in a classroom with a migrant population, you collect a ton of data. I don't mean to just skim over, <laughs> collect a ton of data over your kind of months and months of work and the interpreters, I mean, oh, that's amazing, a ton of data. Um, so can we get to the findings? Uh, and your findings, I, I love this when this happens, where you have things that work really well and things that maybe need to be tweaked or some challenges you faced. Um, and so let's get let's start with the things that work really well. In your article, you talk about um, Ella's unit using Google Maps and how kind of this was an effective use of the framework. Can, can you talk about Ella's uh, unit and um, what what was the unit and why did it align so well with the framework?
1: Uh, it's interesting because this, this particular teacher, um, she, she was like, I've got to say, she was like our, uh, our champion. She, she understood the thinking and we, we had many conversations with her. And, and she was one of the initial people, of course, that we'd worked with in the very initial project. And so she, she became um, like our champion in a, in a sense. And so she embraced many of the ideas and and and, and believed in them. So, and, and this activity of taking them to the Immigration Museum in Melbourne. So they had to had to use their 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 the their, 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 um, the maps on their their mobile devices to navigate themselves to the Immigration Museum. And and of course, preliminary to that, she taught the students about. How to navigate, how, how to use that that map and all and all the iconography and everything that was in there, mm-hmm. and then. But the, but the important point comes back to the framework: is this became authentic in the sense that um, she took them on a trip, and they went together, and 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 they used their devices to get there on public transport and and, and out to the Immigration Museum, which the Immigration Museum is. Is a place where uh, it, it, a celebration place of the various uh, cultural and linguistic groups in Melbourne. We, we have many, many, over a hundred distinct linguistic groups in Melbourne um, and cultural groups. And so, in, in many ways, it, it is a beautiful symbolism that she was going to the immigration. Mm-hmm. And and so she uh, she enabled them to navigate their way there. But they had to solve the problem. They had to use the the maps on their devices in order to get there. So there's agency there. There's a sense of developing their skills and knowledge and strengths they already had and, mm-hmm. and 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 enable them to, to get there. But behind that is her incredible support of the students. But then um, allowing them to do, I think that's the critically important thing. But she And she was, as I said, an advocate, a champion of, 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 of this and really wanted, she saw the, the importance of this the importance of students doing it for themselves, being agential, uh, 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 um, um, leveraging their existing strengths and knowledge, and, and actually getting out and doing it. And this is, a, this is a course of course, talking about authentic, um, um, navigating their way around a city like Melbourne, which is a city of, of six million people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging for even us who live in Melbourne. So you know, for someone who, who's new to the place, it, it's, it's quite a challenge to, to navigate your way around the city. So this has incredible benefits for their, their their life and and the quality of their life and the success of their settlement. This is, so this one activity uh, has, it has a powerful effect and did have a powerful effect on their students. Um, and, and, and so it was about quality teaching quality teaching that empowered the students, quality teaching that built up their existing strengths and led to a practical outcome. And and um, so uh, that, is there anything you'd like to add to that, Katrina? Uh,
2: yeah, I just need to say it was a great unit, You know, showcasing oh, like that, LS, yeah. LS creativity, uh, LS creativity yeah. and really a good uptake um, of the model, of the framework and the resource.
1: Yeah. Almost in its totality. It, one thing has to said. Looking across the other the other teachers and and much of what they said to us and what the students said to us, one of the things that came across from the data was that there there are problems. It, they, we shouldn't think that this is one hundred percent working, and yet it's all in place. The one thing we say is when we developed the model, and then we developed fifteen um, practical units that came out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we didn't want to do is to be too um, uh, formulaic in that. We think right. that on the ground practitioners working with a student should de- be developing it. So it, it, we, we've offered them a set of ideas, really, for them to work with and develop in their context to contextualise them. Well, and, uh, and, yeah, I think that's worked. Uh, rather than being too prescriptive and telling them what they have, well, in, it might not work in another context.
0: Yeah, and that became clear in Katrina's description um, of, of of the study that freedom for teachers to take up the framework, which makes sense if you're cool. asking them to be authentic and use student strengths, that they might look different with different student populations. It might look different depending on the city. It might look different over time, right? Because these things change. And I like that example with the Google Maps because uh, maybe that standard or that curriculum that she was teaching, maybe she could have achieved that curriculum by just showing them how Google Maps works, having them kind of play with it in the classroom, doing some sort of a quiz on it in the classroom. And then she could have kind of check up the box that she addressed it in
1: the curriculum, but and instead- that's the sort of teaching map that she'd been that others have been doing. Yeah, big step was actually taken in, in 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 a like and it's also in like some field work that they did. They went out on, on on a on a practicum and applied this in a real authentic situation, which made it so much different. The other thing I should say here is that, um, um, as I said, in, in terms of the issues. Those who, who are very entry-level um, uh, or who are beginners, uh, the teachers noted that some of the things, for example, like critical literacies were a challenge. Yeah. So, so in recognition of that, and so maybe there needs to be further work done on, on work that's particularly geared for entry-level beginning learners and, and the, their needs because it's challenging. challenging when their English literacy skills are not strong at the stage, and 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 so and and because uh, their understanding of digital literacy is contingent upon their understanding of their English literacy skills, and so and and so that, the, the practitioners fed that back to us, and 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 we've got some thinking to do in that space uh, about the beginning learners uh, um, and learners further down the track um, particularly embrace this.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so so it it, it it's interesting. Maybe the model needs some further tweaking in terms of or or or, or, or some extension or add-on for beginning learners. Yeah, well,
0: let's go there because you talk there, and there are the article lays out strengths of the framework, talk about usefulness and relevance and flexibility, user friendliness. But then you also talk about two specific kind of challenges. One you just mentioned with critical digital literacies and, and teaching that. Um, and that makes sense, right? That that would be more 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 challenging because I think that's that's more complex and harder to teach. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's less service level, um, and and I, the other was kind of utilizing strengths of the students and kind of strength based um, instruction. Um, so so let me ask you about that strength based because uh, I think this is an issue with with all of all teachers, right? Where um, I, you, you say in the article, you say all the teachers agreed that drawing a learner's strength is important. Uh, however, on many occasions, learner's strengths were not utilized to their fullest potential. Um, that's a quote from the article. I think that describes a lot of teachers where we all recognize the strengths of our students are important. We should be utilizing them. But then when it comes to what does that look like? How do we do that? That's where I think things tend to fall apart. Um, so, in your opinion, um, what? Uh, how can we do that as as educators? How can we draw on students' strengths? Um, in your framework, what what could teachers done in your framework to to do a better job of drawing on students' strengths? Well, what can we do as educators to draw on our students' strengths?
1: The
2: well, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right, Matt. It's it's a very difficult, uh, it's a very difficult space. Uh, and the main reason for this is that um, it's, uh, I would say, it's quite a recent, you know, idea. Uh, we can see some changes, for example, and um, shifts towards more positive language and policy already. We can see some emerging research talking about the strengths and the importance of strengths. But at this stage, I think it's still. big. It, it is still more kind of conceptual, yes? That's why everyone mm-hmm. understands our strengths are so important. We need to draw on them. But then what what do we actually do? Uh, where do we actually start? Um, so in our framework and guide, we offer several ideas where teachers can start. And it's usually um, using students' existing knowledge and experiences as a starting point. And it can be something small like, uh, okay, What do you already know about this? For example, Mm -hmm. Ella in her unit, um, she had an activity, and I think it's described in the article, where she asked students uh, how they navigate uh, around the city. Not necessarily with the help of Google Maps, because that was the point. Yes, to teach them about the Google Maps. What are the other ways that they, they're using? So she was asking those questions to understand what they already know about navigating a big city, what do they already know about public transport, for example, and how they, you know, use the skills. So that was her starting point. Then she, for example, was actively using their home languages. Uh, we observed in the classroom so the students could group were grouped sometimes depending on their home language. So home language was used as a major strength of the students so that they could talk to each other um, and understand and you know make sense of things. and then using different scaffolding activities to articulate the same things in English. So the yeah. use of home language was another example of using learner's strengths. And Ed, I think, mentioned uh, mobile phones. You know, people were quite comfortable with their mobile phones because they knew their devices, right? So, and again, that was uh, a useful starting point. Let's use Google Maps on your mobile devices. So, we're not going to a computer lab, for example, and see how mm-hmm. Google Maps looks on a desktop computer. Mm-hmm. We're using mobile devices, which are just right in your pocket. So, get your mobile device access your mobile device let's install the app so she was using uh, all these resources that people already had at their uh, disposal quite effectively and that's why i think this unit worked uh so well but you're absolutely yeah. right um it's such a new space um it would be great to see more practical applications of how different strengths can be used more practical ideas what can be done in the classrooms i think you know teachers in many spaces would benefit um uh, from, from such a resource or research. Um, and that's what um, seems like our probably are um, working on on currently many different parts of the world because there are some researchers exploring this space.
0: Yeah, and, and Katrina, and, and I'll let you jump on this too, Ed, but Katrina, that first part that we should ask them about their knowledge and experience, I think sometimes we miss that first step and we don't even take a pause of the room to see kind of what they know and what their experiences are because we can't, we can never get to that second part of kind of utilizing their, their strengths if we don't stop first and ask what their strengths are and what their backgrounds are. Even if they don't perceive them as strengths, right? Um, then it's our job to say,
1: okay, how can we tie this in to be a strength and, and to use it in our teaching?
0: Uh, Ed, did did you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, was, and just on that point, there's another um, um, in the um, the the Framework and Guide, there's another example there from a teacher who was focusing on Unit 5 of our guide, which was on videos and accessing videos. And she used mobile devices and lots of translanguaging practices with her students mm-hmm. in order for them to, to access appropriate videos. For example, they might want to know, how do I go to the doctor and and, and, set, and, 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 and get a doctor's appointment? And, and so there's videos online that actually explain that. And, and so uh, it, it, she went through how to access videos use their mobile phones and their trans practices uh, in order to to teach this unit and and their, their phones is a is a um, a, um, a technology that is, has become a strength for them but source of trans practices is, is linking into their linguistic repertoire and and so uh, she was able to uh, access their strengths in order to teach this unit. So that's an example. So, the, 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 um, But I think uh, educators need to be overt about this and uh, make yeah. it even write it up that, that, they're, they're, that they're going to do this and they're looking for and asking their students about their strengths, what they, what they can do. Um, there was a stage in teaching English, of course, where it, it was to dismiss other languages. And, and 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 actually now, from our perspective, now quite really quite awful because all that rich linguistic background and culture is lost. Um, and 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 luckily now we we embrace. Uh, it, it, it's all about understanding, and it's all about communication, and that's really what matters now. It's about understanding, and and we use any resource we can do for that understanding.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense because. If you don't allow them to use their home languages, um, all of a sudden they are at a spot where the opposite of strength, right? They're at a, at a weakness, um, and they're at a disadvantage from the start if they don't if they're not allowed to use that home language, which is a strength and which, honestly, throughout their life will continue to be a source of strength,
1: not weakness in their personal and professional life. So, yeah, why would we it's make certainly that? We- in their communities, in their social groups, yep. even the groups in, in, in educational settings, the groups that they have, it becomes an asset for them.
0: Yeah. Oh, Ed, Katrina, I could, man, we could go, we could do this podcast for a really long time. <laughs> There's
2: <Absolutely. laughs> so
0: many interesting ideas. I, I'm i curious to see kind of since this article um, has, or since you wrote this article, Uh, Has this work continued? Have you moved on to a new project? Where are you all at?
2: Uh, Well, our work now goes in two directions. We definitely um, keep working on on this project in terms of disseminating this research and trying to reach um, out uh, the practitioners. So, for example, in um, April last year, we had a fantastic um, symposium uh, talking about about, uh, digital literacy in adult um, EAL space. And the symposium attracted about uh, one hundred people. A lot of right. them were policymakers and practitioners from the field, uh, so awesome. there was a lot of interest in this space. Uh, we definitely tried to use different channels to disseminate the framework and guide, which is publicly a publicly available resource, which uh, any teacher can access and use if they feel it's useful for their space. So, drawing yeah, I'm the- sorry,
0: can I interrupt Katrina for one second? Um, you're talking about the framework. Did, I'm just curious. Did you guys make any adjustments to the framework given findings of this study or is the framework as exists today similar to to how it existed in this article
2: um we fine-tuned a little bit language and uh, some okay. examples I uh, depend like uh, after after the pilot project so to make yeah, it even right. more accessible so generally we found the framework and guides to be useful and accessible and easy to navigate but there was mm-hmm. some kind of you know um language issues in terms of um, making it more pra- practitioner oriented so we fine-tuned the language a little bit um we added a few other ideas um, and activities uh, to the document so and we added some case studies um, after the after the completion of the project. So, case studies uh, complement and showcase and illustrate those uh, units in action. Yes, Um, and they also feature students' voices, as I've said, in home languages, but of course in translation in the resource for teachers. So, these case studies also provide some rich um, information for the teachers. We hope to see how these um, units can be implemented in their practice. Are those available
0: for anyone to see?
2: Yes, they're publicly available, and I'm, I will be happy to. Share. I think it's uh, also shared in the document, in the paper itself. Okay. um the, the link, but I'm also happy to provide the link. Uh, yeah, provide the link,
0: and I'll put it in the show notes, so all our listeners yep. can have access to that that yep. that data, the information. That's oh, so yeah, good. So
2: that's yeah, why, we, uh, as I said, so we, we still we kind of really want to disseminate this research resource and make sure that you know, uh, if teachers uh, need it, so they have something to start with. Following the symposium, we we were working on a book um, about digital empowerment. It will be an edited book which would include chapters about um, strengths. It's a strengths-based book um, um, about strengths of people from migrant and refugee background as they navigate digital spaces. So Mm -hmm. it will be probably published earlier next year. So it's called um, "Digital Empowerment, um, Refugee Settlement, and Learning."
1: Excited. uh, so that's, that that's authors from the US, uh, from Europe and from Australia. Yeah. Oh very cool. Yeah. That's so cool. yes yeah,
2: on the farm an international perspective on this as well. And um, this project obviously has been completed and uh, we also moved to a new project. Now we have um, a new project, but we still kind of, you know, keep our interest in digital literacies. but um, obviously given all, all the developments in digital technologies in recent uh, in recent year or so, we are now looking at the use of Generative AI in um, in another program, which, which has a lot of uh, students from migrant and refugee backgrounds. So we are looking at how generative AI is used and perceived by people, by students from migrant and refugee backgrounds, adults, their teachers and leaders of different institutions, uh, what the needs are, what the strengths are, how can we help, um, is there a need for policy, Uh, how can we support teachers in their practices uh, in class with generative AI or maybe for planning or maybe for professional learning. So Mm -hmm. that's the new project that we are currently exploring Um, Again, uh, with Ed and a few other colleagues uh, from Monash and La Trompe University and our industry partner.
0: Well, that seems very relevant and authentic. Uh, Ed, do you anyone had as far as kind of future directions for for you all?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, well, I think that this project is is a beginning point, and um, and and I think the new space is AI generative AI. That this is going to. In other spaces, I've written material and, and am writing material about generative AI and language learning. And this is an area, a growing area. And when I started it, actually, there's so little written in it. So what are the implications of generative AI for, for language learning? And and that's an area mm-hmm. that, that, um, that intersects with the project that Katrina said. It, 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 how does it intersect with... Um, the learning and the expectations of students who, who, who are settling in a new country, because generative AI is going to shape the landscape. It's almost certain that that occur. And, and most academics are using it now, they're using it as part of their work. Um, but are ordinary or everyday people, and I'm not saying we're, we're better than ordinary, everyday people, but the ordinary and everyday people who are not academics, are they using it and, and in what ways? Um, and to, um, I think this is an area of, of growth and development in terms of thinking here, because it's no doubt that this is uh, an addition, an extension on digital literacies and critical digital literacies. How how do you ethically use generative AI? To, to and another do.
2: yeah, and another direction in which we also try kind of you know um, develop our work is uh, AI literacy of and specifically for. Um, English language learners. What does it entail? How can we operationalize it in, in practice? Um, so, of course, uh, it it has different dimensions to a broader concept of digital literacy. Um, so, just because it's such a different technology. So, these are all exciting directions that we try to develop in our work.
0: Yeah, uh, that's so exciting. I, I think we could do an entire other podcast just on AI and, um, and its implications and, and all the possible directions that that could take us. but um, Dr. Edwin Creeley, Katrina Tor, Dr. Katrina Tor, thank you so much for spending some time and talking about your your research. It's a
2: pleasure. thank you. thank you. it was great yes.